Welcome to the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Welcome. Today's Mental Health Matter is all about mental health in our community with Mrs. Rachie Karish, Executive Director of Madrigos Midwest. Welcome to the episode Rachie. Thank you so much. So before we begin, let's just start with, if you can tell us a brief history, obviously now we know you as the executive director of Madrigos Midwest, but if you could fill us in how you got to this point and a little bit about your career until this point. Sure. Um, So I actually started off my professional career in Israel. I got married my senior year in college And my husband, Phil, and I decided that we wanted to spend the first few years of our marriage in Israel. So I got my, I decided to get my graduate degree through Wurzweiler School of Social Work's block program, which allowed me to do my internships for social work in Israel. My first year there, I worked at Shari Tzedek Hospital, which was um, an incredible experience, but also a really, really challenging and difficult experience because it was the time of the Intifada and there were terrorist attacks happening all the time. And as a social worker in the hospital, you really are working on the front lines in terms of dealing with terror victims and their families. Um, So talk about getting thrown into trauma work really, really, really fast. Um, Again, it was an incredible learning experience, but as not even as a young professional, I think no matter what point of stage you are in your life, it is a really, really challenging um, emotionally, you know, as a professional. And it was really my first also introduction and um, opening to the fact that as a therapist, you need to have supervision all the time. I don't care what point you are in your career because you're dealing with heartbreaking situations Um, and people with really strong emotions that are going through difficult things. And so you're going to need to process those things that you're working through too. Um, So that was my very, very first experience in the field. My second year there, I worked in a school for at-risk teens, um, a therapeutic school. And that's always really been a passion of mine of working with adolescent population and working with that specifically with the at-risk adolescent population. Um, And I also, while I was there, would teach in the seminary um, system on the side. So right after I graduated, I was hired to be part of the administration of a new seminary in Israel. And my job was to be on top of the social and emotional health of all the students. And I have to say that I've really been so blessed to love every single job I've ever had. I guess that's a sign that maybe I picked the right profession for myself. And after five years in Israel, my husband and I decided that, you know what, we're settled here, we're happy here, we have jobs that we love, we have friends that we love, it's Israel, it's time to make Aliyah. So it used to be that we would, you know, we would be all year in Israel and every summer we would come back, um, we would come back, visit our family. I actually would work as the camp social worker at Mosheva, where my mom was assistant director at the time. So it was a way for me to, you know, work and also spend time with my family. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we, we filled out all the paperwork for Nefesh Benefesh, 
we came home that summer to go to Mosheva, to be the social worker, to spend time with our family. And we had a return flight at the end of August on a Nefesh Benefesh flight. Um, and that summer that we came back, Phil got offered three different meaningful chinuch opportunities in America. And to make a long story short, we never got on that plane um, and we never ended up going back. So we ended up back in Chicago and I ended up taking a job as the school social worker at Hilatora, which was also a really incredible experience. Um, and about six months into my year there, I was approached by Madrigos Midwest, which at that time was a brand new organization that was only working with boys. Um, and they were looking to start to do girl, you know, programming for girls as well. And they wanted to know if I would run it. So I was initially really torn about what to do. I was really, really happy, you know, working as a school social worker at Hiltara. But at the same time, I felt like I was being offered my dream job. You know, as I mentioned, this was the population I love working with. Um, I also have always, I love being able to create something new, you know, and every job that I've ever had in some way or another has allowed me the flexibility to kind of look at the system, find the issues or problems within the system, and then create solutions to work on those problems. And so aside from the fact that this was the adolescent population, we were working with at-risk kids initially, um, it also was a job that I was like giving total flexibility to create something new, create a new program. Um, so obviously I took the job. I'd first finished the year out at Hilltara. I did not leave in the middle. And then I took the job, you know, at the end of my year there. Um, and I really never looked back. And I want to say that it's really, it's been everything that I thought it could be and more. Wow. That is, uh, first of all, that's crazy. I never knew that story about Israel. It's, uh, wow. Okay. Chicago, <laughs> Chicago is lucky. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you know you've been in Madrigo since they at least began the girls branch of things. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more just about Madrigos as an organization? Um, give us some background sure. on that. So Madrigos was originally started to tackle the issue of teens at risk in the Orthodox Jewish community. You know, it was about 11, 12 years ago, and Chicago, similar to many communities around the world, was struggling with the epidemic of at-risk youth. There were teens that had dropped out of school, that were using drugs, that were engaging in risky behavior, and there was really nothing significant being done to help them. And so Madrigos Midwest was brought in to help tackle this issue. And in fact, one of our very, very first services that we ever offered was just opening up a lounge drop-in center and giving these youth a safe place to hang out with their peers. And as far as I know, to, my, you know, to the best of my knowledge, before Madrigos Midwest, there was no Jewish organization focusing solely on the emotional health of our community's children. Um, so Madrigos, which was originally started, I know, as we said, as an organization for at-risk youth, quickly emerged into an organization that works with all Jewish youth along the continuum of prevention, enrichment, and intervention. You know, we got some really good advice when we first started. Um, there, we had a clinical advisory board made up of, you know, a few different clinicians from the community and from outside the community as well. And there was a doctor by the name Dr. Jonathan Conlin, who unfortunately passed away a number of years ago. 
who said, if you have an organization that's only going to be for um, the top 5% of kids that struggle, right, with such at-risk behavior, then you're never going to be able to, or, or, or if your organization is for those 5% that don't struggle at all, then you never are going to be able to touch the 90% in the middle. So you want your organization to be able to focus on that 90%. And that really is the shift that Madrigos took. Our singular goal is to help develop youth into emotionally healthy adults. And we really see ourselves as a one-stop shop when it comes to the mental and emotional health of our community's children. If you need education in the social emotional realm, Madrigos Midwest will provide that for you. If you need healthy outlets or healthy mentors, Madrigos Midwest will provide that for you. And if you need counseling for your teen or for your child, Madrigos Midwest will provide that for you. We found that the continuity and the ability to receive support within the same system, whether it's education, enrichment, or counseling services, has been especially effective in the mental health environment. Fantastic. And I can vouch for it being a great organization. I'm very, very, feel very fortunate to be, uh, to be a part of the organization since I moved here just over a year ago. Um, and in that time, you know, I, I already in my short time here have seen the way that Madrigas Midwest has impacted upon the community and has entailed all that which you mentioned, um, but has also begun to, to add some new aspects and, and change some things and, and develop as an organization often does and should. So are there any visions that you see for Madrigas Midwest in the future, perhaps those which are not under the rubric right now of what we do here at Madrigas Midwest, but something that perhaps you'd like to see in the future? It's a really great question. Um, and it's something that I think about all the time. At the same time, I'm very careful to never project what I want to do onto the organization. And I think, you know, I can say that really Madrigos prides itself on looking at what the communal needs are and creating program based on those needs. So I would say one communal need, which we have found um, as of late that many people have really expressed a desire to have is more educational programming for parents. And I know Rabbi Bressler, since you've come on board that actually has been a huge focus of yours and something that you've really started to make great strides on already. Um, also, um, in general, just establishing a parent division to our current programming to enable parents to raise healthy children is definitely a focus of something that we're looking at. Um, and as I said, something that we've already started to make great strides on. I also, at the same time, see a need in the community for us to be able to expand our individual counseling services to parents um, and to include support groups for parents struggling with their children as well, so that we're able to offer that same model of prevention, right, the education piece, and also the intervention, the counseling piece to the parents that we're offering for the children currently. Amazing. We should uh, have much success in that. It's, it's really such a, such a pleasure to be part of uh, such a meaningful and enjoyable organization. Um, so now that you, you brought up, uh, obviously we've learned a lot about Madrigas Midwest for those who haven't, didn't know before. Um, I, we are located here in Chicago, I, for sure now during COVID as we've developed some Zoom programming, our impact has uh, expanded beyond as well. 
But focusing on within our own community of Chicago, could you express and tell us a little bit of how you've seen the attitude and the approach generally towards mental health within the from community, and especially here in Chicago, how have you seen that evolve over your years? Right, another great question. Um, I think we as a community have made tremendous strides in the area of mental health in the last 10 years. The level of awareness and acceptance around mental health and its challenges is unprecedented in my opinion. Um, in fact, when Madrigo's Midwest first opened up in Chicago, many schools and families were really nervous to engage with us because of the stigma around mental health. And today, Madrigo's is running our school program in almost every Orthodox Jewish day school and high school. Parents are encouraging their kids to come to our enrichment programs. And our phones are literally ringing off the hook, not only from you know, parents calling to get therapy for their teens, but principals pushing their students to get help, Rabbanim pushing their congregants to get help. You know, So the calls are coming in from everywhere. And to me, that really speaks volume to the change in our community. Um, it's something that I'm so proud of us as a community that we've been able to make the shift. And I think it's really served our community and our children in a great way. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And it, it takes a great community to hold a great organization. So absolutely, uh, absolutely. special partnership. Getting into some of the details that, that you know, Madrid, obviously, we have client confidentiality and we're not going to be going to be able to talk about specific cases per se, but can you give our listeners a general overview of some of the foremost issues being dealt with within the field of mental health that we see at Madragos and beyond? Sure. Yeah, um, we really see and work with the entire gamut of social and emotional issues. So that means we're seeing everything from, you know, something like self-esteem and just feelings of sadness, all the way down to major trauma, um, abuse, struggles, so um, struggles with suicidal ideation, um, and literally everything in between. Um, if I had to say, like, if I had to pick the number one issue, right, that we're dealing with, um, and I believe that this would be true for most therapists in their practices, is that of the issue of anxiety. Um, kids today and adults today too, really, um, are struggling with so many different pressures. It's like, it's hard to keep up. You almost don't get a break. You know, if you think about it, like it used to be that like when we had social pressures, right? So we'd, okay, we'd had our, we had our social pressures at school and then we got home and maybe we had a little bit relief. Today, when you get home with all the technology advances and the social medias and the chats and everything going on, these kids don't get a break from the social pressures they're feeling. Um, academic pressures are a big factor as well not only because of necessarily one's desire to do well in school, but often like your competence in academics is a defining factor to who you are, right? Like if you think about it, like that's the only grade we get. We're, an a, we're either an A student, we're a B student, we're a C student, we're a failing student. Like that is the mark we get that kind of defines us who we are at the end of each semester. So, you know, couple all, you know, I'm not gonna even go into the pandemic, which is an issue in itself, but couple all of, the pressures that kids are dealing with, with the fact that kids are also less resilient today because life is so much easier in so many ways that they also have less of an ability to tolerate any negative emotions. About 
about a year or maybe two years ago, um, Dr. Norman Blumenthal came to speak at my house on this exact topic. Um, and he, he spoke on, you know, raising children in the age of proliferating anxiety and depression. Um, and he said a lot of great things that night, but one thing that really like stood out to me and like encapsulated this idea um, was that he talked about the widespread phenomenon of helicopter parenting, right? Where I think we're all guilty of it at times. I know I for sure am. Where out of like great love and concern for our children, we as parents rush in to, to solve our child's problems or our children's problems. And while our intentions are of, are of course good, it hurts children in the long term because we're not teaching our kids the coping skills on how to solve problems on their own. In fact, he like pointed out an interesting study where um, he said, even if you look at the concept of a playground, right? Playgrounds it used to be were built on concrete. And if you fell, you probably broke your arm, but then you learn not to fall again, right? Today, even our playgrounds are cushioned, right? I don't know what that material is that playgrounds are made out of. I don't know if you know, but like almost this like rubbery material that like when you fall, it even like cushions your fall when you fall off out of the playground. And I'm not saying this necessarily, you know, I, I, think the, I think the metaphor of the playground is the kind of a metaphor for what's happening today with our children's emotional coping skills. And I'm not even saying it's a bad thing right? There are many advantages to the fact that life is easier, right? We can have something delivered to our house with the click of a button. We could send someone to the store to go shopping for us. It's not a judgment of good or bad in any sort of way. It's just to recognize that with life becoming easier and with us rushing in to, to help our children to not experience any emotional discomfort, on the flip side, it's gonna impact our ability and their ability to tolerate any challenging situations. So I think the pressures coupled with the fact of our resilience is down, our coping skills are down, it's created for really a generation of, of anxiety and a lot of stress. It's so, so true and so, so hard. So, so hard, and yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will take this opportunity now that you brought these topics up, just to reference some other podcasts we ha have already downloaded uh, from some of the previous parenting sessions that we've put on for the community, um, two that, that relate to this, this to these topics in particular. One, we have Mrs. Lynn Scheinman gave a presentation who she's such an asset to our organization here over the, 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 this year, uh, gave a amazing, incredible and practical conversation, presentation about dealing, recognizing and dealing with the anxiety of our children and helping them and deal with that in terms of recognizing that anxiety. And on the, and on the other topic of the resilience piece, so we, we had a Bishmuel Tenenbaum who was so gracious to join us and uh, speak all about this topic of increasing resilience in our children, which is so important in today's day and age, especially now during COVID and with everything going on such crucial topics. So we encourage our listeners, if they haven't, to take that as a lead to go ahead and listen to those presentations. You will not be disappointed. There are some very practical tools that come out of that. Um, would you say that that is the biggest challenge for teenagers in our community today? Or is there some other challenge which may exceed that as the biggest challenge for teenagers today? Right. It's, it's a tough question because of course, you know, each person is so unique. 
Um, each family is so unique. So every circumstance, every every community in itself is so unique. So it's it is hard to give a one size fits all answer. I, I think some of the common threads that we're seeing here at Mondragos um, are issues around self-esteem and acceptance, um, a lot of lack of motivation, right? A lot of wanting the easy way out. I don't want to engage in therapy, just fix me, right? I don't, I don't want to do the work, just make me feel better. Um, anxiety and depression, definitely, you know, as we just said above. And also I think I'd be remiss to not mention issues surrounding technology. Um, you know, aside from, you know, addiction and getting involved in it or getting involved in technology in unhealthy ways or watching, you know, things that are not okay, um, technology really plays a role in each of the issues I mentioned above, right? You know, think about how if the role it plays in self-esteem. You know, you have a child that a girl that goes on and sees all these, you know, beautiful models and has this perfect picture of what she's supposed to look like, or a boy, teenage boy that goes on and sees the perfect picture of what a male is supposed to look like, right? That's going to impact your self-esteem, right? Issues around acceptance. You go onto social media and you see, oh, your three friends went out together last night. You see a picture of them hanging out. I didn't know they went out together. Why didn't they want me to come, right? Um, motivation for sure it impacts, right? You get lost in your virtual world and it's like hard to get out of your virtual world. We know the research shows it, it impacts anxiety and depression. Um, so again, I'm not, this is, this is not a, a bash on technology. Technology also offers us phenomenal things. I mean, look what we're doing with it right now. We're doing a podcast with it and hopefully reaching lots of people with our Mental Health Matters podcast. Um, but it's important to recognize um, the potential negative impacts of it as well, um, and to be, just be aware of how it's impacting your child. Yeah, it is uh, incredible and frightening, exactly. right? That uh, the incredible how how amazing and helpful it can be, and frightening uh, in the opposite way. And and I'm sorry to go back to this, but because this was really not, not planned. It's not the plan to make pitches for all of our uh, webinars, but I just feel that it was so helpful and incredible that we had, we did have a panel of webinars with a couple of Rebecca Goldman and, and, and a couple of uh, people from TAG involved, greatly involved in um, our community and in the concept of technology at great length together with Rabbi Liebtag, a, a master mechanic and uh, Again, just something that really any parent in today's day and age could really gain tremendous, tremendous use from. Um, but that point about self-esteem sticks out to me that you talk about, even I, I'm, I'm just about 30 years old. And <laughs> when I was growing up, even I feel, you know, we went home and it wasn't, it wasn't this accessible to just continue the day throughout. Um, and, and there was a, there was a clear start and end. And now it just feels like especially during COVID, but always it just feels like there really isn't a start and end to that, which, which can, can become right. a challenge. Think about even, um, like saying, even as an adult, right? If you're, if you have, if you're on social media in any sort of way, you know, like people present their best selves on it, you know, they present their perfect life, you know, like the, you always say the kids, you know, the picture, the, the picture encapsulates like a, five minutes of smiling, but you don't see the screaming that happened the first five, the, the five minutes before to tell your kids, just smile for one picture, you know, but like you, all you're seeing is right. the perfect presentation. And then like, 
as, as, a, as, a, as an outsider looking in, you're like, wow, their family looks so perfect. Their, their life looks, oh, look at that vacation they're able to take. It's hard. It's hard to not let that things impact you. And it's important to keep a larger, you know, a, a larger picture of you're only seeing glimpses, right? You're only seeing glimpses in everybody's totally. life. Totally, which is which is true in person also, but on technology, it's just uh, it's just beyond. And and also, you know, in terms of the the point I mentioned about starting and ending, right? That's true for parents also. Like you're saying, it's all true for parents also. That the fact that with work, our boundaries in terms of being able to come to work and leave work and be there for our family, it doesn't work that way. Now it, it could be 10 o'clock at night and your coworker who's messaging you is going to expect an answer, not at 10 a.m. when you get to work, you know, or 9 a.m. when you get to work, but, you know, by 11 p.m. And so it's really, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a challenge, um, which is a perfect segue into our next question of what do you see as the biggest challenge for parents of adolescents, especially in our community today? Would this be it or is there something more? So it's more? interesting, you know, I, it's, and I don't know what the biggest challenges is, but this would definitely be the challenge I would highlight. You know, there, there was an article that was written um, a number of years back. It was called Stress, Tired and Rushed, A Portrait of the Modern Family. And when I saw this article, just like the title alone made me smile, because really it does, it really encapsulates parenting today. You know, if you think about like how often when you, um, ask somebody like, hey, how's everything going, right? How often is the response? Oh, thank God, busy, right? Like it's, it's, it's something I know I say all the time. It's something that I know I hear all the time. And that's true. We are really, really busy. You know, I think, I don't know what the exact, exact statistics are, but I think nearly half of all two parent families today um, have parents that are working, both have, two, have both parents working full time. And I think parents are really struggling with balancing it all, um, which is even more true for the Orthodox Jewish community, where again, this is a generalization, right? But in general, we have more children and more obligations, right? So we're having multiple carpals every day, add to that household responsibilities of cooking, laundry, and everything else that comes along with that, add to that your work responsibilities, add to that, you know, the men having to go to their minion and their learning obligations, right? And while these are all things that are great and we love, and there's things that, that we would never ever trade, it's also true that life can be really, really overwhelming at times. Um, and I think finding time for yourself can almost feel impossible, but at the same time, it is so crucial because if we don't take care of ourselves, then we literally will not be able to take care of anyone else around us. I always, um, you know, I quote Michal Cohn always, she gave, a, I don't know if it's her metaphor, but I heard it from her, but she always said, you know, life is kind of like a juggling act, right? And if you imagine that you're juggling, juggling all these different balls in the air, and some of them are glass, and some of them are rubber. So the rubber balls, we can drop, and they're going to bounce back up, and we'll be okay. But the glass balls, if we drop, it's not going to, you know, it's going to break. 
And self-care is a glass ball because if we aren't full and if we're not taking care of ourselves, then we literally aren't going to be able to be helpful or useful to anyone around us. I know for sure for myself that like anytime I feel myself getting irritable, whether it's at work or whether it's at home, to me, that's like my alarm. That's my sign, like my alarm going off my head. Okay, like Rachel, you haven't taken enough care of yourself and that's what's happening. Like make, make more time for yourself, make time for self-care. Love it. And I'm not giving another pitch. I'm just saying that that metaphor was given by Mrs. Cohn. I'm sure many times, one of the times was in a webinar she gave for us, but uh, I'm not making that pitch. Yeah, right? We've got some really great webinars, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that's, it's so important to recognize like what you're saying that we tend to feel the pressures of our community and think that that's normal, mm -hmm. but that's not for whatever percentage of that the orthodox community is of the whole world population that's not normal right and and not that we shouldn't do it of course we should like you said but to at least recognize and, and be okay with the fact that that sometimes that that creates a challenge and it's okay to recognize that it's not normal um and and just so so challenging Right. Um, and, and like, I think something also that's important to say, like a lot of times when I talk to people about self-care, they'll be like, well, where am I finding time for self-care? You know? So like, it's important to say that like self-care doesn't have to mean like you're going on a three hour, like it could be, but like, you know, it doesn't have to mean you're going on a three hour shopping endeavor or you're taking a vacation. It could mean like literally you're taking 15 minutes in the morning to make yourself a quiet breakfast and have coffee by yourself. That could be, it could be a 15 minute endeavor. It doesn't right. have to be something huge. It could be, you call your friend for five minutes to just talk or to vent or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be like hours and hours at a time. If that's what you need, then you have to figure out how to do that. But it, it's the little things and it should be done with the intention of I'm doing this to fill myself up. And those things make a huge difference. That's huge. That's huge. It's true. Finding every few minutes that, uh, that can help us. I, I, I'm curious, um, do you, obviously that impacts the teens, but is there any, you know, teens pick up on these things? You were saying from the parents? From the parents, yeah. When the, when the parents are so over, overburdened, is that something for that the teens sure. pick up or that's just how life is? All my friends are like that. That's just what it is right now. No, I think for sure. I think for sure teens, first of all, for sure teens pick up when their parents are stressed out or they're overwhelmed or there are things going on, you know, like they don't feel tended to if, if, if parents' heads are in a hundred places, you know? Um, so I think it's definitely something for us to be able to also not, not just not just do self-care, but also be able to say like, okay, now I'm home. Now is my time with my kids. I'm putting my phone away, right? Easier said than done. I get that, right? Now I'm at work. I'm putting, you know, I'm putting my issues with my kids' school into a container right now so I can focus on work. I think it's important for us to compartmentalize so we could be present in whatever situation we're in. And I think also on the flip side for the teens to see that we take care of ourselves is huge. I think like to role model that for our children, I think we're teaching them like a, an incredible valuable life lesson. Amazing, so true, so, so true. So just one last question before we, before we wrap up. Um, and that's a generic question. Any other thoughts, messages for our listeners, you know, that related to these topics or not that you feel like are important to get out there. Here's your chance. <laughs> Here's my chance. Okay. Let me think. Um, you know what? I think I'll share um, 
a beautiful idea that I actually heard this past week from Rabbi Menachem Nissel. Actually, as my as part of my self care, um, I attend a weekly vod with Rabbi Nissel on davening, right? On prayers, every on prayers, um, and that's something that I feel like working on my spiritual growth is something that for me feels like self care. Um, so he shared this beautiful idea with us this past past week. Um, we were discussing, you know, the morning prayers, the morning brachos. And, you know, the very first bracha, the very first blessing that we say every day is to thank God for giving us the ability to distinguish between day and night, right? And what is strange is that this blessing talks about a rooster. So Rabbi Nissel kind of addressed this and like, what's going on here? You know, what's the significance of the rooster here? Um, and he and he said and he quoted Rabbi Yaakov Emden, who was quoting the Zohar, um, who explains that the rooster comes every night at midnight to crow, and from this rooster we learn an extremely extremely powerful lesson. If we think about daytime, right? Daytime signifies clarity. It signifies light. It signifies control. Everything that is good is good in this world, right? And midnight is the time when the sun is at the lowest point. So this should be the time, right, of a greatest, the greatest point of darkness, the greatest point of uncertainty, of lack of Hashem's presence, of lack of clarity. It could be a time of great despair, but comes the rooster to crow and let us know that don't worry guys, the sun has only one way to go from here. It can only go up. It's going to get better. There will be light in the end. From darkness will come light. And while my family and I were lighting the Hanukkah candles last night, I was struck with the same idea, right? If we look outside, it's dark all around us, right? In fact, we can't even light till it's dark. But then we come together as individuals or as families, and we thank Hashem for all the miracles we have in our lives, past and present. And then we light the candles, thereby bringing the light into our home, bringing light into darkness. And so my message would be one of hope for those that are struggling. It's when things seem to be the darkness, at times that we feel like giving up, when we've hit the proverbial rock bottom, it's at those moments that we need to understand the message of the rooster that there is only one way we can go from here and that is up. And that Madrigos Midwest is here to help you find that light from within. Wow, thank you. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity personally to uh, be involved in an organization that is, I get to see on a daily basis, day in and day out, how Madrigos Midwest really does bring that light into the, the lives of so many. Uh, teenagers, parents, community at large. It's really amazing, amazing work. And I feel privileged to be a part of it. So thank you for everything you do for Madrigus Midwest. Thank you for everything you do for the community. Thank you for giving us of your time to share these messages with our listeners. And uh, I will see you in a few minutes on another meeting. <laughs> Sounds great. And I hope for the rest of we have the opportunity to switch roles where I could interview you so everyone can learn about the who you are and how great you are and what you're doing for the community as well. Looking forward. Have a great day. Okay, you too.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Madragos Midwest, visit us at madragosmidwest.org. Please join us next time as we discuss another mental health matter.